You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And my co-host today is Pacific Companies Director of Physician Recruitment, Casey Galpin. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. And that being said, today on the podcast, we have Dr. Craig Luisi. Dr. Luisi is a board-certified general surgeon practicing in Washington, D.C. at the moment. But he was born in the West Indies on St. Lucia Island. So he has a really interesting and unique story, and we are really fortunate to have him here today. So Dr. Luisi, thank you so much for being here and spending your precious time talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. Yeah, what we like to do in the beginning is just, if you kind of want to kind of give us a, a quick 30 second, a minute um, background about yourself, where um, did you grow up? Where did you do your um, medical school residency? Just a quick overview of things like that. Sure. So I um, actually grew up uh, outside the country. My mom is from New York. Uh, my dad is from an island called St. Lucia, and um, I spent much of my childhood there before coming back to the States um, and um, basically going to college at Howard University, Washington, D.C. After that, um, I ended up going to medical school at Temple University in Philadelphia, and I liked D.C. so much, I came back and went to Washington Hospital Center to do my surgery residency. Um, Following that, I did a year of um, fellowship in bariatric surgery and minimally invasive surgery. Um, And from that point on, I, I wanted to kind of explore options in other parts of the country. I wanted to see what other surgeons were doing, so I thought uh, um, embarking on a locums kind of track would be ideal. Um, so after doing a year of um, employed work uh, with a hospital in Maryland, I decided to venture out and do some locums. So I've been to places like uh, Maui, uh, uh, Oahu, uh, South Dakota, North Carolina, um, those are just a few of the ones I've been to. So, um, And then again, I circled back to D.C. So um, I am back in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, um, which is where you know, I, I reside today. Very interesting. So the uh, how does a guy from that grew up a lot on the islands be up in the uh, the the northeast with the weather, the snow, the rain. You would think that a guy from the uh, that spent a lot of time in the islands would want to be down in the uh, the warm climates. Well, yeah, that you know you can't take the island out of the boy. So I'm, <laughs> and, uh, I'm really I am still that tropical kind of 
kids. Um, um, I obviously prefer warmer climates to cold weather. So um, I do still tend to migrate when I can, uh, work permitting. I would kind of go somewhere tropical just to recharge. Um, I do still have family in St. Lucia, so it's very convenient for me to just go down there if I wanted to. Um, yeah. So, that's... so is it the the professional opportunity, or the family, or just the city you like, D.C., of what keeps you up there? And the reason I ask that question is we talk to physicians all the time that are may, trying to make a decision on where which job do I take? The one with a great professional opportunity, but it might not be in the best uh, weather for what I prefer. Or do I take the money? How are you kind of making that decision to stay up there? Is it the professional opportunity that keeps you there or? I think it's just um, uh, because Washington DC was really the first place I set foot on when I came to, when I sort of started my education. And so I, I grew accustomed and uh, I grew in love with the, the DC area. And, you know, obviously traveling to other cities, I liked aspects of those cities as well, but I always felt like uh, Washington, D.C. being the capital, it, it had this rich history, plus, you know, it didn't have these, like, skyscrapers all over the place, like, you, you know, no no disrespect to New York or other big cities, but it, <laughs> you could see the sky, you know, and I think sure. maybe that's what it was. I liked to be able to see the sky and there's some green spaces and you know it was a, a mix of different things um and the diversity in dc which i enjoyed too so it was it had a lot of different things that i liked and um you know not to mention i did have family who had been to dc for school before so um there's a little bit of uh, uh, some roots there as well so um all of that combined i think made me uh, like the area gotcha so out of the places you travel to locums wise uh what would you say is uh the place that you were unexpectedly really enjoyed oh that's a good question um north carolina maybe um because in north carolina i worked in a very small community hospital in a very small town outside of uh, Fayetteville, and I'd, I'd never been in a small town before. I'd been on a small island, but I'd never been in a small <laughs> town. So uh, it, was, it was different, right? So the demographics are different. The, the culture is a little bit different. Um, so I went in with a little bit of trepidation, but then I realized, you know, which is what I wanted to get out of locums, which is that enrichment about uh, you know, looking at how people handle situations, how they interact with each other. And, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, they're just very nice people down there, you know, and everybody just, um, it's a small town. If you can imagine like a small town in America where everybody kind of knows everyone and they look, look, look out for each other. <laughs> um, they're very, um, into um they're grounded in their faith and all of that stuff and you know going taking their kids to to soccer and all these things it's just a very uh, interesting kind of dynamic down there and and they the physicians were i felt highly respected because you know 
when you get sick, where else are you going to go? You're going to you mm-hmm. have to rely on on the one surgeon, for instance, in, in that yeah. case, me, who's who's the surgeon for that area. Um, and so it's it's I think it's the way I imagined surgery to be in that the, the reciprocity between physician and patient, um, the, the politeness, the civility, um, you know, just the, the pleasantries of, you know, say thank you and, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling good that I, I, I was able to make a difference in someone's life so they can go back to work in the hardware store or they could go back to, you know, work in the, the nursery or whatever. So it's, it's nice. It's a good feeling. So that was a big surprise for me. Do you think maybe later on in your career that or you would ever want to go practice rural medicine? Um, I don't think I would. I don't think it's it's my it's it's my style, if you will. Um, as much as I loved that chunk of time that I spent there and that part of my life, I find that again, like I said, I tend to gravitate towards. Um, uh, the urban kind of life, so I always circled back to Washington D.C. So even when I was in North Carolina, in the back of my mind, I always said, you know, I kind of miss the hustle and bustle of the city. I miss mm-hmm. having a, a restaurant open at midnight that I can just on on a whim just like go and eat something. I miss yep. interacting with friends, you know. So that's what I, I like about city life—a more vibrant way of life. Sure. So, Doug, um, I want to pivot back just um, a little bit. So, um, you in your last year of, of medical school, you're finishing that. You have a, one of 23 or 24 residencies you can choose from. How do you choose general surgery, and what made you choose to get into that as your career? I decided on general surgery in my third year of medical school after doing a rotation out in um, – I think it was in, out in rural Pennsylvania, and um, I fell in love with just the hospital. Again, the it was a small town, so um, there, therein lies that theme again. But mm-hmm. uh, what I enjoyed about surgery was the almost the instant gratification from it. Right, you have the 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 reward of making someone feel better than they did before you laid your hands on them. And before you kind of, you know, removed whatever ailment or disease that they had, and you, you just feel like, okay, I've done something productive, and um, they can now go on and function uh, normally or, you know, uh, to the best of their ability because of an intervention that I I, I did. So um, I find that to be more satisfying than, you know, no. Uh, no disrespect to my internal medicine colleagues, but I do find that being hands-on is is more it's a much more tangible gratification than you know dispensing medication. Although that in itself is helpful, but for me, I preferred hands-on um, kind of uh, work. Yeah, to not just diagnose the the condition, but to be able to treat it and fix it, solve it, treat it and fix it exactly. Gotcha. Okay, so then you do a bariatrics fellowship. So, in, and I'm sure this was a, a little bit of a challenging decision. You're finishing your last year of residency, so you've already got 10, 12 years in education and training. You can stop right there. The money you're going to make is going to be 
a little more than you're making in residency if you would go into practice. How do you do, hold off on that? Do one more year of fellowship to do bariatrics? Well, yeah, so it's kind of a an evolution as you know many many doctors can probably attest to um, during you know your your mindset's different from day one as an intern compared mm -hmm. to you know year five or six or whatever as a as a resident chief resident um, I decided midway in my residency that the the way in which surgery was going it seemed to be more at that time more this is around 2003 2004 um minimally invasive surgery was was already popular but it was becoming more popular and it was becoming the the, the go-to way to operate and i was just fascinated by the, again the tech technicality the, the hands-on thing the using um smaller instruments to get out, you know, to extract an organ. I found that to be so fascinating. Um, so I sort of tailored my training towards that. So, I, you know, as I, I approached the end of my residency, I decided, well, um, I need to apply to a minimally invasive surgery um, fellowship to kind of um, hone in on some of those skills. And um, that's why I ended up doing, at the time, it it was still kind of fuzzy how they would uh, describe these fellowships. Um, they were not strictly minimally invasive surgery fellowships, at least all of them. Some of them were minimally invasive surgery slash bariatric surgery. And I, I was more, I, I more, uh, I preferred the minimally invasive part, but I went ahead and did the bariatric, which was part of it. Because we do the bariatric surgery as a minimally invasive approach anyway, so I figured I would learn techniques either way. If you could go back, um, would you still pick general surgery, or would you choose another specialty? Mm. Um, I think I would probably pick general surgery, but I would approach it um with a different mindset than I you know I did when I was when I just started I, I was I had a different expectation when I just started so now that I have been through it and I know exactly you know the ins and outs of it I would probably approach it differently still doing general surgery in what way um I think um developing a more regimented approach to work life balance i think um would i would have um probably utilized that a little bit more um i think going into surgery sometimes we have a tendency to at least i can only speak for myself i guess going in going um diving head first into it and not really taking the totality of you know of the situation as far as uh balancing your your work and life and so um it can be detrimental if you allow the the work to kind of consume you as you go along okay so would that be i guess being a little bit more precise on the the job that you take or looking into that more or how would you go about it or how would you recommend to 
you know, somebody coming out of general surgery residency to not fall into the same situation that you did? What would you recommend to them? What advice would you give them and what to look for? So I would probably say, and it, it probably all goes back to the type of person you are, the personality that you have. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I think I, I can, I'm more confident now than I was back then. Mm-hmm. I'm more able to set boundaries now than I was back then. And I think for anyone going into uh, surgery, it's important early on to kind of politely set boundaries um, as you as you go along, so that you don't overwork yourself. Um, that's one of the one of the big the, the big things for me. Um, just thinking, don't do. You know, I've heard other colleagues, but uh, uh, based on what they've told me, don't do it. Be- do surgery because you won't, because uh, someone suggested it to you. Obviously, do it because deep down, you know, um, you feel like this is what you want to do. Um, don't do it. Uh, don't let a desire for fame or prestige or even money be that driving force for choosing your specialty. Um, so those are kind of some of the pearls that I would, you know, really on to others. Do you think there's a certain type of personality or person um, to go into general surgery? Hmm. Um, I have a yes. I, I I think, in my opinion, I think just having a. This is going to sound very cheesy, very cliche, but hmm. I think just having a caring heart is one of the big things, okay? It's not about the way, you know, surgeons have been stereotyped as far as like having this um, expressionless kind of gun-ho, I'm going to throw the scalpel across the room because, you know, you know, I'm a surgeon kind of thing. It's, it's, it's more about having the compassion um, for your patients. And, and I think that's what's kind of gotten me through the years is that I feed off of the, the patient's um, kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Well, I feed off of their their um, their moods and how they, they are so grateful for, yeah. for what's been done that it kind of propels you to, to just continue doing what's right for them. And I, that's that's really the personality that I've, I've had for, for yeah. me. But, um, it, you know, I've, again, I've, I've met, I've worked with many surgeons, just like anybody else in any other profession, you're going to have different personalities. I don't think there's just one personality that should define someone for, for being a surgeon. Um, I've met the happy surgeons, the angry ones, the really selfish ones, the really giving ones, um, technically good, not so technically good, and, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's really all about if the patient really had a good outcome and if they're happy with what you've done for them. Yeah. How do you manage your work-life balance? Um, it is. It can be challenging at times. And um, but as I had mentioned before, um, I think I went full throttle when I first started, which is very customary for any 
any um, trainee coming out, you know, they they want to do their best and show up and do the work. Um, that's all well and good, but I think you can't get lost, too lost or too consumed by that. You have to remember behind, you know, all of that, there is still a human being, i.e. you, who has to be taken care of. And um, if you're not careful, uh, you can go down, spiral into like um, sleep deprivation, you know, malnutrition, you know, to put, you know, that's a bit harsh to say malnutrition, but basically poor nutritional choices, um, things like that can, can chip away at you as time goes on. And luckily for me, you know, I kind of listened to my, my body, so to speak, years ago. Um, and I said, you know, just slow down. You know, you can't treat everybody. You got to take care of yourself. Um, I think that's so important, and I think that's not really emphasized as much in training. You know, we're all about, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be good to patients, and we're going to take out their gallbladders or fix their hernias. But yeah, but what about the surgeon? You really have to – we're the ones doing the work, but we have to also focus on, on our well-being. Um, so that that's one of the biggest things for me. And um, right now um, – I can say to accomplish those things, I do, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm some guru, but like I do meditate sometimes um, to kind of just in preparation for surgeries, like prior to surgeries, I do um, uh, sort of a visual, um, uh, sort of visual representations in my head before doing surgery. It's very calming. You know, I take deep breaths. I do all of these things. And um, also, for as far as the physical aspect of it is concerned, um, I stretch. Um, um, you know, you have to do a lot of sort of physical therapy in a way, you know, before and after surgery. Because if you don't, you can end up having problems with your neck and your back. And, you know, so all these things, it's, it's all about taking care of yourself, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. As a as a recruiter, the the number one reason why physicians contact us and say, "Man, I'm I'm looking for a change," is because of work life balance and quality of life. They say, "I've made the money. I'm I'm tired. I want to spend time with my family. I want to enjoy my time. Like I spent all this time to do perfect my craft. I want to enjoy life now." So it's interesting that you say the same thing because we hear it all day, every day from physicians we talk to. It's 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 absolutely true. I mean, it's 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 pervasive. I mean, I have surgery colleagues who tell me, you know, I'm so, you know, I really have to take time out from my family. I, you know, I've been working so hard. It's, it's getting, it's really wearing me down. I've heard all of those things. Um, so yeah, I could I totally identify with that. Yeah. So like, I want to get your thoughts on this. So we've done a lot of these podcasts, talked to a lot of physicians and the, when it comes to choosing your, you know, your profession, residency, fellowship, the number one reason thing they say to do is do it because you have a passion for it because you love that aspect of medicine. And likewise, they say, don't choose a specialty because of the money. 
Would you agree with those or what would you say the biggest do and don't of choosing, you know, your future career? Well, I, I completely agree with what well, you just stated. I think doing doing a, a job that you, from the, the outset, don't feel like is for you is kind of, you know, ridiculous. I think um, a lot of times we're, we're almost thrusted into professions by, you know, whether it be your family influence or expectation of what society might think of you, you know, or what you think you're going to get out of it um, monetarily. Um, it, that's really not a good those are really not good reasons to go to go into it, especially given the the amount of work that it involved that is involved. Because at some point you're gonna you're gonna reach a you know a, a area where you say, okay, I'm not really liking this at all. And then what are you gonna do at that point? You know, it's mm-hmm. um, you've wasted years um, doing something you didn't like to do. Um, and it's just you're filled with regret and resentment and all that stuff. So, yeah, I would I would say do it because you really really want to do it. And there are yeah. people out there. I mean, not to dissuade anyone, but there are people out there who, and I've, I've again I've worked with people. They're just extremely passionate about what they do, and you can tell it's like it's emanating from them. And you know, and then there are others who you can tell. They're just doing as a day-to-day job. They just really have no passion. It's just, you know, it's it's night and day for, you know, looking at these two types of surgeons. Yeah, passion is one of the things. You just can't fake it. Either either have it or you don't. And it's so evident in any aspect of life. Exactly. So, Doc, so the kind of, one of the central themes of of our podcast, it's a lot of it is focused on, you know, residents, fellows, new grads. So if... You kind of being, you know, looking uh, retrospectively, what do you wish that you would have known in residency that you know now? Or what would you have changed about you know, residency or going into it or coming out of it now that you have, you know, uh, the, the, the decade or so of experience? Hmm. So many stories, so many things. <laughs> but um, as, as most uh, residents, students would probably know surgery residency is no joke it's it's it can be very rigorous um and it really also can adding a layer to that it depends on who's your chief resident and who you know who are your who are the people above you that are, are are looking out for you um one of the things i i think i would love for for trainees and, and residents to to do is Seek a mentor when they're in training. I think that's probably one of the biggest regrets that I have uh, is uh, feeling like I was swimming out there by myself at times, you know, um, and not having that uh, surgeon that you can just go to for anything. Um, I think we're just, you, you just get lost in in the crowd when you're in a residency program and i think if perhaps you had uh one surgeon who was kind of assigned to one resident who they can confide in and things like that it would enrich that that experience for the residents that's great great advice that makes total sense 
Um, we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure I slip in this question because it's one of my favorites. So in your 13 or so years of practicing, what is one of the most interesting or craziest cases that you've come across? Hmm. Um, I would have to say it is putting an emergency airway or endotracheal tube uh, through someone's trachea because a pit bull had bitten their neck during a barbecue and Whoa. they came in through the at that I was in one of these uh, rural hospitals at the time and as a general surgeon you're pretty much the surgeon for everything so you see yeah. everything um so I was called on to the emergency room because this guy had been bitten by a pit bull. I said, oh, it's just a bite, dog bite. What's the big deal? You know, yeah. and I get down there and he's like breathing out of his neck, like the air is bubbling out of his neck with blood and everything. Oh. But, um, and, uh, we had to kind of emergently stick a tube. I had to emergently stick a tube through the hole in the neck to allow him to breathe. Um, so that was pretty pretty cool. He was critical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was um, his um, he was gonna lose his airway, so we had to do something very quickly. Wow. Um, so and um, be, being a, a rural hospital, we stabilized him and then helicoptered him to the trauma the nearest trauma hospital. Um, but yeah, that was that was exciting. So when you see something like that, it comes in. Like, what's your initial reaction to something like that? Like, I just think I was like, how? Like, what? Like, what goes through your mind when you see something that obscure? Um. Well, inside you go, oh my god, oh my god, right? But outside you have to be, <laughs> you have to be sort of like the the captain of the ship, so to speak, um, and you have to display a level of of calm and you know sort of uh just be be smart about how you're approaching things so that no one else thinks you don't know what you're doing and um you kind of get hoisted up by your knowledge of the anatomy because once you see it you kind of say okay it's the neck you know i've operated on the neck before i know the anatomy i know the implications of having a, a whole uh, you know, a tear in the trachea, I know what to look for. So your instincts kick in, uh, your knowledge kicks in. It's just getting over that initial, like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know, and then kind of going, you get into the zone and you kind of just do what you know you're supposed to do. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 exhilarating, you know, the, the question you asked. It is kind of just a, a rush, Um it's a controlled rush, put it that way. You have to know how to tame it and so that you can focus on what you're doing and then talk about it when it's done, you know, when the patient's all better. You're like, oh, my God, look what happened, you know. I got to imagine the, the, the adrenaline, you know, kind of dump afterwards. It would take you a while to get back up after that because you got to just be at the, the peak of your adrenaline when, you, when that comes in. And obviously you calm down to do the procedure, but you – that's got to be intense. Yeah, it is intense. And I think the adrenaline, it, a lot of it is, is, is from, oh, my God, I don't want this person to die on me. You know, I'm the only person here who's really, you know, at that particular 
in that particular case, I was the only person who could do what needed to be done. Oh, my God, the pressure's on me to do this. And so that will straighten you up really quickly because you're like, okay, it's all falling on me to do this right, and this patient is relying on me to do this properly, and I really want to do it properly for them. And, you know, a lot of emotions kind of can run through your brain at lightning speed, and but at the same time, your hands have to be working. You have to keep, you know, going and doing what you know what you have to do and not get distracted by those thoughts. Do you feel like you have pretty good autonomy? I do. I think I do, yes. Yeah, that's good. I mean, especially we've heard a lot of physicians say when they're in um, more of a rule setting that they're, um, they feel like their autonomy is greater. Um, I think when I'm in, in more of in a, a rural setting, because, number one, you're the only surgeon that's there, yeah. and everybody's looking up to you, and the patients are relying on you, it's almost like it gives you a little bit of, of leeway to say, okay, I'm going to do, I don't know how to describe it, but you just feel like you're not being overseen as much by by everybody um, at your level, all of your other peers, so you know you have to focus on doing what you want to do and not deal with other people staring. Yeah. I don't know how to best to describe that, but yeah, it's, it's a different dynamic when you're in a, in a rural setting. Yeah. Are you still lo- working locum tenens? Uh, yes, I am currently. Yeah. I was previously in an employee position and then, because, um, you know, I guess as the theme goes for this entire talk, I'm still kind of circling around Washington, D.C., looking for that, um, uh, an ideal permanent job close enough to where I live. Um, gotcha. So right now, yes, I am doing locum. Okay, so you're you're looking into to getting into something more permanent then? Uh, something, I guess permanent is, is a bit too specific. Something that's more stable, if you will. So if it were a locum's position that was an ongoing locum's position and it was close to home, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. So, yeah, either one. It actually, uh, random topic, but for... Um, physicians out there that have tr- that have never done locums, you have a pretty good amount of experience with it. What would you just say to them as far as if they're considering dipping their toe into that avenue? I would say it's definitely worth doing. Um, for me, I did it only a year out after um, training. I would probably recommend people do it maybe a couple years out from their training. Um, maybe work, uh, you know, an employee position for a little bit, get their rhythm going, figure out what it is they're, they're, they're capable of doing, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses, and then go and do locums in different parts of the country or the world or wherever um, because you, you have that confidence going out there. I kind of did it differently in that I did it when I was fairly fresh out of, training and so and I, I think it was deliberate on my part I wanted to just throw myself in there to be shocked and to figure out how I'm going to do things and improvise and you know learn in that kind of environment and it, it, it worked for me um, and I learned a lot from different surgeons everywhere I went or um, other healthcare professionals um, 
but yeah, I think locums is is a good is a good thing for people to do. You learn about yourself more than anything else, really, as a surgeon. So, what would you recommend them to watch out for or to look out for if they're considering a locums assignment? Anything that, in your experience, to really take um, uh, keep an eye out for? Hmm. Uh, I've not been asked that question before. Let me. Um, I would say, I mean, if you're I don't know if I have anything to say about that. I mean, I can't think of anything at the moment. You know, unfortunately, I think we're pretty much at our time cap. Sure. Um, okay. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day. I know uh, it's right in the middle of your work day. So uh, this was fascinating. I really, really enjoyed the uh, the conversations. I think it's great what you're doing because that would I would have loved to have this when I was in training. This would be a huge resource for me. So it's good what you guys are doing. Yeah, oh, thank you. We like hearing that because it makes us yeah. uh, more excited and pumped up to keep keep talking to more physicians. So, yeah. well, thank you. And uh, what's the what's your plan for the rest of the day? Um, I actually have a pretty short day, so I'm just gonna run some errands. <laughs> cool. Nice. Yeah. So. All right. Well, it was okay. so good to get to know you, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully maybe have you back for for part two. Okay. All right. Thank have you. a good day. All right. You too. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.